and they won a bunch of seats in 20, and they won enough seats in 22 to take the majority. He campaigned. He raised money. Again, you don't have to love every decision or tactic he's employed. But he has been the leader of the party for the past two cycles and led it to a majority. 202 people want that. 20 don't. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. At the time of this recording, Patty Murray of Washington is second in line to the presidency. This is Flyover Country with Scott Jennings, the podcast with Scott, Kevin Grouch, Sean Southerd, and I'm Joe Arnold. Now with more Scott. (laughs) Now with more Scott. Bonus Scott. 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 That's right. the fun. But most importantly, How is Kevin. that your headline news? You know, I, I just, literally, right before we came on, we told you to stop screaming into the microphone. And already, 10 seconds into the pod, you've who, already violated. Who are you talking to? You! <laughs> you have a, yeah. You're very soft-spoken, and then you're not. How do I tell them I'm having trouble controlling the volume of my voice? I will I will try to do my best. Give our listeners a break, Sean. Most importantly, Kevin, how's the baby? He's doing great. Thank Theodore. you for asking. Oh, you had a baby? I had a baby. He's one month old now. Scott yeah. has done a very good job of every single week that we it's have true. taped this in, cons- in, in, in order. In order. <laughs> To ask the question, how your child is doing? That's we're so. Be... What's the latest update? How did how did the yeah. baby celebrate New Year's? He slept. Mm, really, that's fantastic. Got him right through it. Yeah. Wow. And the three year old. Did you know that Mickey and Minnie have a two minute long New Year's celebration video on YouTube that we played at eight p.m. It's great. Recommend that to all the, the okay, parents I'm, of young kids I'm bored out there. With this. Can okay. we move on? <laughs> we are recording this at 9.50 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, January 4th, year of our Lord, 2023, when uh, there is still uh, no resolution in the, how many votes? Six votes and counting? Seven. Six, six. No, seven. Are there seven now? No, no six. Six. Because six. They tried to have another one tonight and then just adjourned. Six uh. votes, but the but they had a, a very contentious vote on adjournment right before we came on. Uh, the business of the nation. Yeah. <laughs> so I find it interesting. Frankly, I haven't followed it blow by blow like a lot of folks have. And I don't know, when do when does America care about this beyond the political class? Never. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out there. Right now, Congress doesn't exist. And I think for a lot of Americans, that's okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, truly, there's no speaker, which means none of these people have been sworn in. So, you know, you know, I mean, they're not doing anything bad (laughs) at the moment. Congress has traditionally a low approval rating. So I'm just going to throw it out there. If we just had two years of the clerk of the House reading 435 names over and over again, would this be the worst outcome of all time? No, I, I think mean, it'd be. I think it'd be great, actually. You know, Chuck Schumer is going to pass all these like far left bills, yeah. and they're just going to be sent over to some non-existent to body, <laughs> sent over to the to the to the twilights, and they go into a little garbage can over there. Yeah, it's like or the place for misfit toys or some sort of thing. You yeah. know, they're like just going to read them, and it's going to be done for. Now, sincerely here, because I haven't followed it as closely as you guys have, but there can be no committees either. There can be nothing. Right. The first thing they have to do is have a speaker. And until then, you can do nothing. Members are even being informed they've lost their security clearances. So members of the Intel and the Armed Services Committee can't even go to a skiff. They can't even go phone call. get things to leak. Right. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> so, is amazing. So if, in, well, this is where it actually becomes, and I mentioned Patty Murray of Washington is yeah. second line of the presidency because she's the new Senate president pro, pro temp. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Kamala Harris is second in line. But all that said, uh, so you're saying that if in fact, God forbid, there was some situation 
of a national catastrophe or crisis where you'd need to have a, a briefing where the, the the executive branch, the president, would come in. They would he'd only be the pr- briefing the the Senate right now. Is that correct? I mean, I guess the president can read into anything he wants, do anything, yeah, uh, and he probably would read someone into it. But it, it's a it's a good question. It's it's a little strange right now. Yeah, it's nothing's really... happening that would warrant that at the moment. But yeah, I mean, there's no house. It's, but it's really fascinating. You're watching every journalist freak out when they're normally referring to someone as a representative, and they have to call them all representative elect because yeah. they're not actually representatives sworn yet. Yeah, even the ones who I guess because you're elected every two years. Right? Yeah, nobody, God help them. They're in having the house. to use one extra word. Nobody's in the house. It's amazing. The house is empty. Yeah, as we record this. Is it going to be resolved anytime soon? Do you, I mean, here I'm asking you a prediction, and we're recording this, and who's to say? I mean, tonight, Wednesday night, as we record this, they were having meetings. It sounded like sounded like they were having some agreements about whose super PAC could do what, just as the founders intended, by the way. <laughs> That's the thing that, that – okay, I mean, go ahead. It's, 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 what, is, what is the difference between a super PAC and, you know, like some sort of, you know, Federalist paper? You know, I, I really – you know, it's, it's all speech. That's the difference. Here, it's here's, money. <laughs> here's a question. There's 20 people that don't want McCarthy. Maybe 15 of them could be bought off by some stupid super PAC deal. But aren't there five or six yep. that are supposedly the, the true core of the never Kevin whatever? I mean, it, it isn't that – and so he can lose four. But if you've got five or six that are saying, we'll, we will never break. We don't care about any deals that are cut. That, to me, is what we're waiting to find out on Thursday and Friday, whether that core five is actually breakable. So far, they've said they're not. I think a lot of these other people are hangers-on, to be candid. Mm-hmm. And they, they claim they want this, that, or the other. I mean, I've seen them all out on TV and, uh, you know, whatever. So maybe you peel them off. But it's this core this is this core five that are sort of the chaos caucus. And there's some talk back and forth that if some of these members vote present, it changes how many votes you actually need to become a speaker. But at the end of the day, even if he were elected speaker and these four or five people really don't like him and just want to tank everything his majority is going to do, it's not a, a functional majority at this well, point. Well, and, and, and that, that's the thing about this whole fight is let's say he gets it on Thursday or Friday. Kim McCarthy gets it. Or let's say someone else gets it. What we have learned this week is that this is not a functional majority. There's always going to be enough people to prohibit the Republican majority from doing stuff if they so choose. So we almost now functionally have a three-party government. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Democrats at 212. You have Republicans at, you know, somewhere between 202 and 217. And then you have a handful of, of, of essentially a third party operating behind enemy lines. I mean, that, that's, I mean that, that is the, that's the role they are playing. So in order to, to govern the House, you have to build a coalition. But the coalition has said openly, we reserve the right to tank the coalition if we ever feel like it on any given day. But, but let's like really be honest about what we're talking about. Is there's really two things that, that are at risk here. Is that, number one, you know, funding the government is a huge thing that Congress is supposed to do. They already did it through September. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so I'm taking that off yeah. the table. Yeah. The second thing is if we want to actually investigate anything that's going on in Joe Biden's administration. Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. Big deal. That that that's the whole that's the whole question right it's now. It's on pause at least right now. It, it, it is. hasn't even been able to and start. It, and it's and it's a Jay- problem. It's it, it is a total problem that these people are standing in the way of that. And so if you actually want any oversight of what is going on in the Biden administration or what happened arguably during the Trump administration over COVID. Like, yeah. like 
these people are standing in the way of that. And we need to have a real conversation about that because it, it is a huge problem going forward. It's like these people are standing in the way of looking into what has happened over the course of the last few years mm-hmm. and and what could happen in the future. But I guess in the, in the meantime, and this goes back to the original question, is, is you know, do we even notice the difference? You're saying we do because the oversight is not there. But ultimately, this is, you know, elections have consequences. But I want to just, like, listen, there's not going to be any bipartisan deals that happen over the course of the next two years in, in Biden's administration after, like, listen, the, the Senate is controlled by Democrats. The House is presumably controlled by Republicans. Well, there's going to have to be something this summer when we hit the debt limit. Right. Sure. Right. <laughs> I mean. But, but I mean, like, it's going to be like divided two or three, works. like, bipartisan deals to actually make sure the government functions. Yeah. But, like, that's it. If, if we're going to actually have control where we can actually look into to what has happened and, and like, have oversight of, of the administration, we need to actually elect a speaker here. I got I to gotta say, the, the thing about this whole thing that, that drives me the craziest is you have 222 people. So you take any organization in America. Say you had 222 people in a group. 202 of them want to do something, and 20 don't. And somehow the 20 are dictating to the 202. The House is fundamentally a majoritarian institution. Parties that have majorities get to pick who is in charge. Within the committees, you vote. The majority has it on the floor. It's different than the Senate. This is a majoritarian in-house races. Whoever gets the most votes wins. It's majorities. This thing is built on majorities. And right now, you have 20 people telling 202 people, you're not in charge, we are. And you have 20 people telling the American people, we're going to run an institution of 435. We, out of 435 people, 20 feel one way and everybody else feels the other. And yet we're we're supposed to be running it. I, I mean, regardless of how you feel about McCarthy or any of these people personally, it just, it just strikes me as fundamentally bizarre mm-hmm. that that's the circumstance we're in. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I know the Senate has different rules. It's not a pure majority institution, right? But the House is, and I. I don't know. I mean, they went to conference. Kevin McCarthy got eighty-five percent of the Republican conference. I mean, in in any organization in America, if eighty-five percent of that organization wants to do something, they're going to do it. I have a question for you: Is there any begrudging respect, for lack of better phrases, that this? Freedom Caucus and maybe these these five core, you know, true believers have held as firm as they have when the squad couldn't keep their ranks together and and prevent Nancy Pelosi from becoming speaker. They say there are two types of people who go to Washington: those who want to make a point and those who want to make a difference. Legislating involves compromise. If you want to make a difference, you have to say this is what I want or this is what I believe in, and then you have to find an area between the 40 yard lines to come to an agreement. These people say they have wants, but they're so extreme. There, there's no, there's no between the forties here that they can even uh, agree to. I, I think the, I think what they want is very simple. I, I've heard people on TV all week opining about this rule or that bill. Nah, it's not the issue. They want a scalp. They want to be able to go out and say, we killed off a member of the swamp. Here's the alligator's head. That That's it. They don't, they don't want to do anything other than parade ahead on a pike. And so 
when they presented this package of rules to McCarthy and he winds up agreeing to it, and then they still went out and voted against him, it should have become clear at that point. There's nothing you can give them. They want to put your head on a pike and walk around town with it. That's it. And so you can't negotiate your own head away. So what are you going to give? What are you going to give those folks? And it's not just you can't give them things. You can't even call in people they say they respect to tell them to do it. Well, that's the other issue. Trump is, Trump. Trump is from McCarthy, and he has said they should get behind him. And then you have, do we have the sound of Lauren Boebert? Because you have McCarthy. So these 20 people are supposedly the Trumpiest 20. They're the ones who are the most pure MAGA. And, and Trump says, okay, then be from McCarthy. And Lauren Boebert goes to the floor, Jared, and says... Stop with the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. This with is, that, this I yield. Is, Thank this you. This is fascinating because not only is she and the rest of these people disregarding and defying Donald Trump, now they're ordering him around. Yeah. So apart from what happens to McCarthy, I think one of the fascinating outgrowths of all this is uh, is is uh, just what is his influence? He's been deposed as the leader of the conservative or mega. Mega is now something different, yeah. and it's 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 like the it's like the church or anything else. There's people who are the doctrinaire, and 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 at certain a certain point, they are they are replaced. You know, and and this is this is Trump is over. We already knew that, and and this is especially over if now he has both. Uh, the, the 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 most mega people are ignoring him, and the institutionalists are ignoring him. Who's left? Yeah, I I mean, if I were, you know, for for all the time he's been around, the operating protocol for Republicans is you can't you can't get on the other side of Donald Trump. Yeah, like you have whatever. Okay, when he makes a decision, you just got to get in line. But now this this people are defying him. What is the incentive for any other Republican to get in line if these people won't? Right. You know what's amazing, and, though? And they is, won't, and there's no consequence to them. They, they well, get a completely free pass to tell Donald Trump on the floor of the U.S. House, right. I disagree, I'm not going to do what you want, and I think you're wrong and you need to change. So you said there's no consequence. My curiosity, this is the, the, the long game. I don't think there's any consequence from Donald Trump because I think he's, again, I think he's history. What is the consequence for these 20 ultimately when the institution kind of re- re- reverts to the mean? Are, will there be any kind of, of, of reverberations or consequences I mean, for them? It, I mean, are we saying Lauren Boebert's not going to get to write the next 12 pieces of know. legislation? I mean, that's the thing. Th- these people weren't central to making laws anyway. She was writing but, a whole lot of legislation to begin with. I mean, like, it's I mean, just so, – so no, there is no consequence. In fact, there's probably incentives. At any time – this is the, 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 the last 10 years of the Republican Party, 12 years. If you're the person who's willing – to crap all over whoever's in charge of the Republican Party, you get rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. So the incentives are negative. So the question is, though, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy, I can't even say his name because he's not going to be the speaker, I guess. Then who will be? Because there are plenty of never Kevins, but there are always, there, there's also a whole group of people saying, I will vote for no one but Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. So where does that leave us? Well, I mean, that, that's the thing. Every, the, the, these five are getting all the attention, but you know McCarthy has claimed from the beginning he's got maybe forty or fifty that are right. that are only Kevin, and if they won't relent, um, 
And and I even tonight, Dan Crenshaw, congressman from Texas, yeah. says, "Look, I don't I don't know who they're going to put up, meaning the the other faction, but I'll never vote for anyone that they're for." There's probably a few people in the conference that that are having that attitude today. So is that's there a great any, question? Is there any semblance of the Aaron Sorkin, you know, uh, <laughs> writing here? What, 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 what am I going to say? There's no consensus candidate. There's no coalition government coming. Is there, is there any possibility of a Democratic speaker? It, it, the music is not going to swell, and we're not all going to get a warm feeling in our There's not going to be a lot brute, of fast walking. Brute political force is going to win the day. There's gonna Something's going to happen. Some, something's going to break, and we're going to get take, a Republican Speaker of the House. Now, actually, one other question for you, but going back to the first thing that Sean mentioned about this super Fast PAC. walking? No, but, but that, it, it's bizarre to me. Can, can they even— so there, there's a super PAC, I guess, that McCarthy controls. Yeah, the congressional leadership. And part. and so to what extent, I mean, is that something you can put in a contract or in writing? Or is it just a promise to say, I won't you know, play in these particular districts? How does that work? I mean, I actually had this question tonight because I don't think a federal candidate can direct the spending of a super PAC. I mean, and who's contributing to it in the well, first it, place? It was, it was, Shouldn't the contributors have a say in how that money is spent? <laughs> I mean, I, th- th- this whole thing is a little weird to me that, that, that the super PACs had to get together. I mean, I just I find all this to be a total sideshow. I mean, that's not the issue here. Super PAC, you're worried about super PACs and safe Republicans. You're telling me this whole thing <laughs> is over super PACs and safe Republican seats and some TBD race in the future? Give me a friggin' break. But the ironic part of all this is here the the far right and the uh, otherwise unelectable candidates who somehow were in safe enough districts to get elected is the reason why Republicans lost the Senate and the reason why they have such a, a thin majority. It's the same reason why they hold so much sway in this in this hostage-taking exercise. That's a great point. If if the Republicans had gotten the 240 seats that Robert Blizzard promised us on this podcast, oh, uh, <laughs> then, that, then these five votes Robert. would not matter. Oh, oh my gosh, goodness you gracious! Just, you just like stabbed him. It's a friend food. of the podcast. Friend of the pod. Well, he was a friend of the pod. He, he was. <laughs> speaking <laughs> Until of unelect- now. speaking of otherwise unelectable candidates, uh, let's talk about George Santos. You mean the Speaker of the House? Is he the next? Is, is he the consensus? <laughs> That, you know, don't you mean the Supreme Allied Commander? <laughs> yes. How, yes. How is it that he got He's in all charge the, of NATO now, isn't he? How According it, to him, maybe. How is it that he got all the way through his that entire uh, election cycle and none of this came up, or at least came up among the right, the, the people to... Well, the Democrats think, suck. Yeah, it is it is malpractice I mean, on his opponents and the party apparatus that were trying to take him on that they, they could not look past his, his inch-thin resume. Well, it's 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 crazy, and watching some of the, I, I'm watching him on the floor as well. It's interesting. He's Scott, doing a lot of texting. Is he though? <laughs> did you see the way his tie was tied tonight? I did. <laughs> the knot I mean, was like, not. The knot's weird, and then like it's like this little nub under. I I, I mean, saw it. This guy has all I the hallmarks it. of someone who just. I mean, he knows he's not supposed to yeah, be there. Yeah. Like he's wandered into the wrong saloon, but he doesn't know what to do now. <laughs> so really, nice he's kind of like Marty McFly in Back to the Future Part Three. Like he knows he's not supposed to be there. There's no, there's no <laughs> now, all Pepsi of you, free. All of you have far more political experience than I do. It does remind me of I was an intern in, on Capitol Hill in 1988. I did not know that. So a few this. years, a long time ago. Anyway, Who, who'd you intern for? There was a congressman from St. Louis named Jack Beekner. B u e c h n e r. Ah, Beekner. Yeah, the Beekner doctrine. <laughs> anyway, Jack, he was a Big great man guy. Beekner. Very funny. Very funny guy. Anyway, he was there for about three terms. But I was I was ate a lot of seed. I was interning for him. Anyway, my story as far as being out of my out of my league or out of my uh, uh, gourd 
that uh, I believe you have the qualifications to be a congressional intern. So, but as back many, then, not now. As many interns, and of course, we were all poor, and we were doing whatever we could. And so he, you know, you'd get a lot of invitations to different receptions and things, and that's where you went to go to eat. Yeah, that's where, it, and so he put them out on his desk, whatever. I was saying, yeah, just you can pick up the invitation. You can go and represent me and go get dinner, go get breakfast, whatever. So I picked one up one time. It was, I forget what the lobbyist group was. It was for a breakfast, and I said, I'll go through and I'll grab a quick biscuit, and, and then I'll come over to work. Because Joe didn't know how to make biscuits. Well, whatever. I was <laughs> staying in a dorm. But my point being, so I, but I get there to the breakfast. I'm sorry, is this story still going on? <laughs> He's at the breakfast. We're so close. You know, you've been we're, busy texting. We're about, we're about to find out. Oh, so is everyone we're about, else. We're about to find out this was an egg and cheese biscuit or if it was like a okay. had ham on we're it. so close. Just for this, I'm not going to complete the story. No, you have to. Our listeners want to know. Will anyway. you please finish it in the next 10 seconds? Get to the breakfast. It's not a... Long like, story short, the biscuits were stale. Fin- Joe, finish your story. I'm trying. <laughs> it's longer because he's texting and paying no attention. Golly. Anyway, get yeah. to the breakfast. It's not 200 people. It's five. Ugh. And everyone else is like a member of Congress. And then there's Joe, who is, you know, 21 years old. And I didn't know any of the acronyms they were using at the conversation. And that was, I had to kind of. So what does I that fe- mean? I felt like George Santos does. That's on like the how House I live my tonight. life now is that people are using acronyms I don't understand. <laughs> Scott, thank you for sharing uh, that story with us, Joe. I, I, my it, point being it was, was very relevant. George to felt feels this. Oh, never mind. You know, I'm trying to support this podcast. <laughs> I think McCarthy I was elected speaker during that story. Then he left office. Then another speaker was elected, and that and I think we're like best, on three speakers. Best past tweet I saw on this was McCarthy that man. this is this vote has lasted longer than CNN Plus. Uh, <laughs> don't insult me! Don't insult me! Don't it was not an employer. attack on you. He wasn't trying to insult me. He insulted me. Not you personally. (laughs) Whatever. Not everything's about you. Take us across the dome. What's the other side doing? Mitch McConnell. Ooh, my favorite. Appearing. Really? Yes. On the Ohio River. No, no, no. Take us back further. History was made. First, the earth cooled. (laughs) Then the dinosaurs came. Kevin, tell us about (laughs) Mike Mansfield. Until this week, Mike Mansfield, the senator from Montana, held the record. The late senator. The late senator from Montana held the record. I'm not the only person being interrupted tonight. Go ahead. As the longest serving party leader in American history. And all that changed this week. Senator McConnell broke the record and is now the longest serving party leader in American history. And he, he marked the day paying great tribute to Mike Mansfield and his leadership style of uh, leading by serving his members, not dominating them. Uh, it was a masterclass of Senate speechifying and uh, history. Uh, go back and watch it. And history was made this week, and it wasn't in the House. Well, and that, of course, is the great juxtaposition of all of this, is that while the House is in chaos, is that McConnell and institutionalism, yeah. unlike what you have over there, is, you know, is, is winning. Yeah, I mean, there's stability over there, and uh, it's not the stability we wanted out of the election. I mean, I wanted Republicans to be in control, but um, what you know, one fun- one branch of government is functioning, and you know that ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I don't. I, I mean, it it it, it was remarkable 
though, when you consider just all the comings and goings that have occurred since McConnell became um, leader of the party on a similarly bad night after the 2006 midterm, yep. Republicans got wiped out in the thumping that George W. Bush called it. And then this, he broke the record on another bad night in which Democrats expanded their majority. So it's, he's never had it easy. I wrote a piece for, for CNN.com this week about it. And, and you think about he's been in for 16 years. And so uh, 10 of those years have been Obama and Biden. Four of those years have been Trump. And two of them have been under a very lame duck, George W. Bush. So he's never had it easy. And he's, he's only ever had the majority for four years. Six. Six years, and he's never had more than 54 right. members. Mansfield, on the other hand, never had fewer than 54 Democrats, and most of the time he had more than 60, which is the magic <laughs> number. So Mansfield had it easy. Now, he did have <laughs> Southern Democrats to contend with on right. civil rights issues, but in terms of just party functionality, Mansfield was on autopilot, and McConnell was always, you know, he is a scrap and claw for everything. Of course, this past time around was the first time not, not a unanimous vote for Republican leader was Rick Scott mounted his uh, campaign. But in some ways, it's, it makes it that much more impressive, you know, where we are now. Yeah, I think uh, my conversations with McConnell about this most recent fight um, to get this leadership position is that it was invigorating for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he rather enjoyed the debate and enjoyed the fight and enjoyed winning a crushing victory. What I find maybe the other thing that, as far as this juxtaposition is the whole question about, to your point before, Kevin, about are you there to make a difference or make a point? And for McConnell, the thing that's impressed me the most, well, I shouldn't say, because a lot of things impressed me about Mitch McConnell, but the fact that he he he's able to move on after these major right. scrapes. Yep. I mean, you can have a situation. I mean, how, I mean, I, I was talking about, about the Ohio River and Joe Biden coming to uh, the president coming to uh, Kentucky on Wednesday and appearing with uh, Rob Portman, the former senator, with Mitch McConnell, with uh, Sherrod Brown, with uh, Mike DeWine, the governor of, of Ohio, Andy Bashir, governor of Kentucky, this bipartisan group to announce this um, new bridge to be built over, over the Ohio River, sorely needed in that area. And the fact that not too long ago, Joe Biden was appearing outside in a speech and and basically uh, comparing Mitch McConnell and others like him to Bull Connor and Jim Crow 2.0, and for Mitch McConnell then to take the stage with the guy yep. and bygones. Yeah, McConnell has um, a long history of of putting things behind him, but also ultimately staying focused on what's important to him. You know, what is his end game? And one of the things about this bridge is that, A, it's a constituent service issue for him. For 25 years, every meeting Mitch McConnell has had in northern Kentucky, someone has said, hey, when are we going to fix this bridge? (laughs) He's been working on this for a quarter of a century. That's number one. And number two, you think about the optics of it. You have uh, Biden up there and you have Bashir up there, whose only contribution to this, from what I can tell, is he filled out some paperwork. But McConnell's role in this was real. And so you have these Republicans – who are like, well, he shouldn't be appearing with with Joe Biden or whatever. What do you want to cede the stage to Joe Biden and Andy Bashir and let them take credit for a long fixing, a long standing problem when it was the Republican Party that actually deserves the lion's share of the credit here? And by the way, for those of you who really want to know, for 25 years, people have wanted to put tolls on that thing to fix it, to pay for it. And it's been the, the most conservative Republicans, the Tea Partiers, who've blocked it at every step of the way. 
Now, they finally got their way. The federal government's going to pay for this whole project now. But it's McConnell who, who ultimately got it over the line, and Rob Portman of Ohio. So to me, McConnell, again, eye on the ball, delivered for constituents, and, you know, did something which he considers to be between the 40-yard lines of American politics, which he says all the time. And C, historically, he views himself as the heir to Henry Clay, who yep. successfully argued Just bring that up. years ago that it's the federal government's responsibility to engage in internal improvements. Roads and bridges. Yeah. The American system. literally a bridge between two states. I mean, that what was, is more interstate commerce? That, yeah. was, that was the Clay yeah. project, yeah. Yeah. Sure. the American system. It was... It was Exactly what Clay would have wanted. So the now, question he, is, he also was for tariffs, tariffs and Not, other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, McConnell yeah. doesn't like tariffs quite as I much. I didn't say he was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, when do they name the bridge after McConnell? Oh, uh, they ought to call the the bridge they're building the Portman McConnell or McConnell Port, whatever. They 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 really ought to. The Brent Spence Bridge will will eventually become local traffic. The new bridge it ought to be called the McConnell Portman Bridge. These two giants of public service worked across party lines to deliver for the constituents in that area, fixing a long-standing problem. They deserve it. It ought to be. I don't know I don't know how and who will end up naming that thing. I don't know what the deal is. But on you heard it on this podcast first. So when it go. happens, I'm with the credits right I'm here. I'm guessing that's, a, well, that's a, it's probably a congressional thing. It probably is. Think so. Fed, well, it's, I don't know. It's interstate, but then it's again, interstate. It's, but it's controlled by the states. I yeah, think it has to yeah. be probably some, maybe a joint uh, resolution by both. I would think that the supermajority Republican uh, General Assembly in Kentucky would. Uh, I'll tell you Jared, look it up and let us know. I'll tell you something else. That bridge that runs between uh, over the Ohio River at Owensboro across to Indiana. That that's Natcher? called. That's the Natcher. Now William Natcher. Now, interestingly, it was McConnell who finished that bridge. Yep. He got the funding to finish that bridge, and they still named it after Natcher. But he built that one too, and they did not. I don't know who named it. We should actually name every bridge. Yeah. After Mitch McConnell. We just go down the river. There, 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 one, there's really not McConnell been any two. infrastructure project in right. the last I mean, 25, you, 30 years in this state that has connected us, or even internal improvements, frankly, that did not have a federal match of some sort that he was not yeah, responsible I mean, for. The, the, the dams, the locks, they're all over the state, and he's he's been a part of them just shoveling money and, and bar- breaking down barriers when he needs to But again, the, the juxtaposition is that shoveling money and the, that appropriations mastery is exactly what these the this cabal this the, the what do you call them the chaos caucus mm. that's what they're fighting against right? Well, they hated the infrastructure bill. They hated the omnibus. I mean, they they they've essentially been against everything for for one reason or the other. But at the end of the day, you know, I was talking to some some people about this. You know, some some Republican told me today. Well, I guess I guess McConnell's gonna you know be in trouble with his you know with the party for appearing with Biden today. And I said, you know. If you went to northern Kentucky and walked around and said, do you want the Brent Spence Bridge to be fixed or not? I'm not sure you would find anybody who said, let the thing fall into the river. <laughs> like, I don't know that you would run into anyone who actually believes that. And so there is something to be said for occasionally stepping back from analyzing the news through our hyperpartisan tactical lens and just analyzing it from a pure, well, what are these people who we send to Washington yeah. supposed to be doing? Right. Well, they're supposed and, to be basic – I mean – at a basic level, virtually everybody would say, yeah, I think they probably should take responsibility for fixing the friggin' bridge. And he, he even said, McConnell, at the, at the event today, we can still disagree on stuff, and we're going to. I right. mean, he, he's not immediately going to become an acolyte to anybody else. He said, but we agreed on this, and this was important, and we got it done. And good for him for being able to see the forest for the trees, yeah. you know, and understand Th- that. This was good politics for them both. McConnell delivering for constituents right. who've, who've 
wanted this for a long time. Biden showing, you know, that he's capable of getting things done. In a it, it made sense for both of them, but for different reasons. Yeah. Right. I do think people were trying to read a lot into this. But truthfully, this is a, at its core, was a real constituent services matter for McConnell. Right. 25 years of trying to get this done, and it finally happened. It is. For, I mean, this is happening in northern Kentucky. For those folks listening from outside of Kentucky, that's about 100 miles or so from where we're recording this podcast on Wednesday evening, about 10.30 now. Um, uh, and in in Louisville, about, oh, 10 years ago, um, this the, the legislation was passed, and they were able to get two new bridges built, but only through the mechanism of having them told. And so there's a lot. There's, there's a little bit of a, of a burn by people who, who they put up the money. They said, fine, we're going to do what it takes to actually build bridges because otherwise there's no way the money is ever going to come around you know, and, and, and make this happen for the build these bridges with, with tax dollars. As it turns out, everyone in Louisville is a sucker <laughs> because people in northern Kentucky are going to get their bridges for toll free. So they, they held out long enough and they, uh, they, they, they uh, imperiled people's safety for this bridge <laughs> to be in terrible shape. But – it's kind of a sour grapes way to look at it. <laughs> They've also got a nice airport in northern Kentucky. We can talk about that next. They do. Are you oh wearing my. airport branded socks? Oh, yeah, yeah. That I mean, is the most disgusting America's thing. America's favorite well, airport. All, CBG right get, there. If you could see the pose that Kevin is striking in order to show us his airport branded socks, it, first of all, it's profane what you're doing. Second of all, are <laughs> you the was... only person in the world that has those socks? CVG socks? <laughs> CVG socks. Did, did, they give Am- away? did Amazon sponsor those? <laughs> no, they were a gift to and, me. That that did not actually address my. <laughs> hey, by the way, not for nothing. I'm yeah. just going to throw this in while we've been sitting here. Uh-huh. You know who retweeted me tonight? John Morgan Sam. Fairchild. Morgan Fairchild. Yes. Now, do you John? Know who... Do you know who that is? I'm aware. She's a liberal. <laughs> I'm, yeah. But pretty pretty famous actress. Did she retweet your? Your uh, your McCarthy mustachioed uh, no, tweet? No, I tweeted earlier that uh, the point I made about Boebert, not only are they disregarding Trump, but now they're ordering him around, and she retweeted that. I'm just saying, how old is Morgan Fairchild these days? 68. <laughs> are you making that up? Or? Yes. Well, look it up. You've got a computer. I don't have anything. Well, can... I, do, do we need to spend a lot of time on this? <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's noteworthy. She's actually she yeah, all the rage. Go back to my time. socks. You know, the 72. The 72? <laughs> No, the actual ironic part of all that, she was at that congressional breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. That's the sad thing about all that. Who's the most famous person that's ever retweeted, any of you? Dale Murphy. Oh, baseball Atlanta players. Players. Deserves yeah. to be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Exactly. Sean, who's your most famous retweet? I don't really remember, but I do remember whenever uh, Hillary Clinton like tried to slap Donald Trump for uh, saying something like, when, you, when you're president, you know, you need to, like, lead you can't tweet and i did this tweet where i said you know excuse me get closer to the microphone here <laughs> now don't start yelling <laughs> keep it under control <laughs> all right now go that i tweeted like she had tweeted a few weeks ago it's like training a puppy like now sit <laughs> now beat now he stay needs, he needs a treat stay for those folks listening at home who can't see us <laughs> Sean has been kind of leaning away from the. He, Sean is a major fan of William F. Buckley, who's leaned away from microphones all of his life. So Sean likes to kind of lean his back. His face is getting redder. I need for you to kind of just, redder so just redder. lean in, as MSNBC would say, and give us <laughs> your point. I feel like Joe Arnold here at the, the number of attacks that have been levied at me tonight. But so she, she tweeted that. And like two weeks earlier, she had tweeted that, um, you know, 
you know, delete your account or whatever. And so I, I quoted her, and then I got more retweets than Hillary Clinton did. Oh, nice. I, I went more viral at the time than Scott Jennings had ever been. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, like, I vividly remember Scott Jennings coming over to my cubicle and saying, well, how do we make this happen for me? <laughs> <laughs> how do I become as viral as you? That, it was, it was something I, I routinely ask you. I actually <laughs> went home. There was a pandemic. <laughs> I went home. I wrote down the moment. I have it framed. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's great. So it's who, Kevin's turn. Who of you? Oh, yeah. I, I, haven't you? My, yeah. I haven't had my most famous retweet yet. So if you're listening, retweet me. Maybe it was Scott Kevin Jennings. underscore Grout. Hey, he doesn't retweet who's the me. Be, who's the best person that follows you? I think John Cena might be the best person who follows uh, yeah, me. That's he follows cool. me. He follows a lot of people, but I was pretty honored when he. <laughs> See, here's, I remember. He follows everybody. Well, there's like, like how many people are in the world, Jared? <laughs> A billion, but should gajillion? <laughs> That's like a total Michael Scott answer. <laughs> I have, I have lost more followers since th- than you guys have gained since yeah. <laughs> over the last couple of years. No, so, it's are you going to blame just, Elon? My no. assumption is no. that that John Cena That's follows the five hundred eighteen thousand most important people on the earth, and you made the cut, and I'm in it, and I think it's amazing. Well, he also followed like most of the people at the Courier Journal, so he it, did. Yes, he did. Mm. So I'm not really sure that you know you're really in all that good company. Can we have mm. him on the pod? You think mm. you think John Cena would come? You on should here? reach out to him. I saw him wrestle the other night. By the way, I, I'm a John Cena kind of a fan, although he's the footsie with China or whatever. But but anyway, my kids love him, so I've become a little bit of a. He he wrestled on Friday night. Uh, on uh, uh, on the show, the live. It, it's funny now that he's a movie star. Like he comes out to wrestle, they don't actually let him do anything. He's always part of a tag team. So then they put him on the thing, and he's constantly like reaching to get in, and then like, and it, then he, then he finally gets in for like fifteen seconds, and, <laughs> and then the it. show ends. Yep. <laughs> and so it's like they're like, don't injure John Cena in <laughs> hey, any way. Hey Joe, <laughs> don't you have something you want to say? <laughs> do I? Yeah. What is that? I think you were going to pivot. I was on a pivot. I was going to ask you guys about the New Yorker article. Who shared that with us about the case for making for wearing masks forever? Oh my goodness gracious! Mm. Was that one. you, Sean? No, it wasn't me. Was it you, Scott? I sent it around. Yes, Jared and I were, were discussing it. I think. Yeah, this was this, the case for permanent masks. This is this. Both this. Jared and Scott want us to wear masks forever. Do you though? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. I just find it amazing that they're still publishing these articles right, in, right. <laughs> this year. But this was a group. This was, the, and they're quoting like this. Uh, this. Uh, minor league, you know, CDC. Basically, pe- people saying the CDC is not controlling enough. Yes, and so we need to, you know, step into the void here and do this. So, so very much like a Bobert thing. Uh, you know, they're, they're no longer pure. We are. We alone can fix it. So they're saying the case for wearing masks forever. Scott, you shared this. What, what are your comments before we move on to the sixteen nineteen project? Well, there were just. I mean, if you read down this thing, I mean, some of the arguments that were made. Of, <laughs> I mean, it's just. The the out of touch nature of all this really just every day something happens and it, it just reminded that the people who really were empowered in this country for a couple of years really were not in touch with the reality of daily life for a lot of average Americans. But you're not going to hear about that because there'll be no congressional committees to ask them <laughs> about it, right? I guess. Anthony Fauci is just wow, on vacation. He, he just wrapped oh, it yeah. up with a nice bow, didn't he? I tell yeah. you, Fauci's getting off easy right now. We got to get a speaker right now. So I'm saying. So, Sean, you shared with us a uh, Variety uh, article that the 1619 Project. <laughs> what is this, Dean Martin's Variety Show in like 1967? A Variety article. <laughs> no, the the magazine Variety. Oh, 
You didn't know that? He's a frequent it's reader. the article that you shared. He just saw it on Twitter. Oh, is that right? He doesn't know where the news comes from. <laughs> okay. okay. He's like people who go to the store like, where does your food come from? Well, the store. That's right. No, it comes from farmers. I work for the Department of Agriculture. Ground cows I'll have you produce same, chocolate milk. It's the milk. same thing. Where does the news come from? Well, it comes from Twitter. That's I would right. just say that introduction was not a great, it wasn't his best. <laughs> well, t- fir- tell us about first... your thing, Sean. Okay. So, do you all know what the 1619 Project is? Of course. No, tell us. I've heard about that. Please, tell me. So, it is, it is a uh, New York Times series that was set up to try to reorient our understanding of American history to not be about 1776. Not reorient. Rewrite. Well. go, But go on. Okay. To try to rewrite American history to not be focused on 1776, to not be focused on 1787, which would be the, the Constitutional Convention. But to be focused on 1619, which is the first time that slaves were brought to uh, Virginia. And they have now contracted with Hulu to do a whole mini-series on this to try to reshape our imaginations about this. I think this is a huge problem. Not because history is a problem, but because what they produced was not Correct. History. There were a number of liberal left of center historians who said this is this is not blatantly false yes case in point gordon wood who is like the preeminent historian of american history left of center died in the wool democrat said this is not the way that we should be talking about american history and and i just think this is a problem joe what do you think well certainly the 1619 project in the first place for like you said historically is is just it changes it it says that slavery is part of the the main DNA of this country. In other words, that the the American Revolution was fought to protect slavery versus to protect freedom. It's just it is the complete opposite yeah, it, of, of what we're the about. Whole, the whole idea was that the American yeah. Revolution, the whole idea was to protect slavery, right? Which is not that that racism is not a bug but a feature. There there is, I think, a a plot to teach American children that the core of this country is inherently bad, rotten, evil. You know, that that essentially Mm -hmm. you live in a country that everyone's gonna tell you is so great, but it but at the core of it, there's just evil. And when and I think the reason for that is is because when you convince a group of people that something is rotten at its core, then it makes it a lot easier to make radical change on things that irradiate from the core. Oh, we're rotten at the core? Then what's the purpose of saying, I don't know, defending the, the Constitution? What's the purpose of defending any institution that radiates from a rotten core? So I, I, there's a real purpose to this, Sean. I'm glad you raised it. They want people to believe that this country's core is rotten, and therefore the institutions that have been the pillars of this country are not worth defending or saving. So we've had a lot of discussion about institutions in this country and how Donald Trump was eroding them and whatever. There's no bigger group of people trying to erode fundamental American exceptionalism than these people right here. And it, it, it is corrosive, and I'm glad you brought it up. And it's beyond certainly pop culture because it's also part of curricula. Yeah. You know, it's something which is uh, it's, it's seeped in over the you know, course of, of decades now that to, to a point where this to be produced – Will be commercially viable, yeah. but but conservatives n- need to get serious about pop culture because that's that's how like the imaginations of people are won, and so if we just cede this ground to these people, like where's the conservative version of the sixteen nineteen project 
on Hulu. There's not. Well, one might argue, and what I maybe I, the, the the first you know, uh, the maybe the twentieth century was full of pop culture that was written with with more of a patriotic bent, and this is this revisionist you know uh, recent you know uh, twist on it is but is, it, is, it, is corrective. If they're updating and bringing out new arguments for our next generation of kids, conservatives need to be doing the same thing. I just thing. want true American history to be taught. You know, it's, I've, I've been thinking about, you, you raise an interesting point about conservatives getting serious about this. Um, over the last few weeks, Nancy Pelosi's daughter has been shopping this documentary mm-hmm. about her mm-hmm. mom. And, and they're going to, they're gonna. They, I mean, they already, I think, sort of successfully rewrote some of the history on January 6th to make it look like Nancy Pelosi was the only person who swung into action to say, that's not true. Mitch McConnell Mm -hmm. stood there and was the driving force behind getting the Congress to reconvene that That night. night, night. But but during this whole thing about, like, what conservative would ever be granted the kind of attention and platform to have their own children make a documentary about them and then to have it paraded around like it's, you know, this is the most groundbreaking documentary and everyone must watch it and this will be the history this will be the narrative that we all have to adhere to. They they would not provide the same kind of platform or attention. So to your point, Sean, there there does need to be people getting serious about how are we going to distribute counter narratives that actually are grounded in the truth, or at least at a minimum in our own conservative values when the deck is so stacked against I us. Do, I do wonder after a while, I mean, it's, I think... The American people are ultimately, it's up to them from a market perspective as far as what they watch, what they accept, what they buy. But when the marketplace. You have to to offer them a reasonable alternative. But when the marketplace is so dominated by this stuff, Mm -hmm. and there's no alternative, I mean, this drives culture. I mean, mean, if I I showed up. If I showed up at at a news network and said, hey, I made, I followed Mitch McConnell around with a video camera and I made a movie about it. They would laugh me out of the building. No one would you grant think, me. You really it. think so? Yeah, I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I, but t- I mean, truly, if you showed up at it, but but you look at the the Pelosi material, and it's treated like, you know, Saint most, Pelosi, the, pray for us. The most important movie that has ever been made, and I, they just wouldn't grant the same level of access and attention. It, it's always retrospective. To comparable material. It's always retrospective for the Republicans, and so like the greatest example of this would be like the documentary Mitt. Of oh, the only good Republican is a is a dead or defeated Republican, right? And so like we'll get one here in a few years that's about McCain and how great McCain was. Yeah, and then we'll get in a few years about how great you know Donald Trump was actually because you know DeSantis is now DeSantis. the problem. Well, I mean, how, how many there was times this article today or a few days ago about how. Uh, why I am more afraid of Ron DeSantis than I am of Donald Trump. Oh, that's coming. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, this is the thing that they do. And so it's all, it, this is a process. How, how many times have we heard Nancy Pelosi during the Trump year say, well, I, if only the Republican Party would go back to the days of George W. Bush. I mean, Meanwhile, I'm, old, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember these people calling George W. Bush everything but a good milk cow every day of the week. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, oh, let's go back to the Bush. The only good Republican is a dead or defeated Republican. Right. And it, it it's frustrating. I mean, it, it's so frustrating that you don't get the same level of 
even-handedness. But that's why I brought this up tonight. It's like we have to have conservatives who are engaged in this space to actually fight back against this nonsense to say this is really what happened, to present real Real. Because what do you should, think would make that difference, though? But, I, I guess ideally, though, I mean, in terms of, I said that as far as market economics, you're saying, well, they've crowded out the space and there's no room for anyone creative to, to do that. But you, you know, there are two issues, though, on this. A, it's the content creation, but B, it's the distribution. You know, right. how are you going to distribute it? And, and, and may I throw one more wrinkle in that ties back to the conversation we started with? The Democrats are very good at creating content that uplifts their leadership, that like Mm -hmm. deifies their heroes. And the Republican Party is dedicated to destroying anyone with a title in its own party. And that is the difference. The content right now on the conservative right that's the hottest seller is if you're willing to produce content to take a giant crap on Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell or anybody else in leadership, that'll sell. This is where the Democrats and the liberals have it right. They, they uplift and build up and deify their people, and we just tear ours down. We're like crabs in a bucket, and that's the difference in the content and the marketing of it, and it, and it is super frustrating. You wonder why we can't build our party? Because we're too busy tearing it down 24 hours a day from the inside. You'll appreciate this because it's a compliment. You ready? You're one of the few people I can think of on network television, on the cable news. Period. that is unlike what you just described most republicans that i see are what you're describing yeah are people who somehow are apologists are people who are are just the opposite are are, in other words they're 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 there because they're willing to kind of take a a, a different road there yes and somehow you've i don't know how you've convinced them to let you on because you've you've stayed true to your principles and to the party at the same time, while somehow getting along well, with them. Well, I think you can be honest when, when a party leader does something you don't like or, or you think they've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. But that's different than being fully dedicated to the project of destroying them, right. which is what's happening to Kevin McCarthy. You mm-hmm. can love him. You can maybe like him. You can not really care all that much. But you can't deny that he, more than anyone else, ran around this country – for the last two terms, trying to build this majority. And they won a bunch of seats in 20, and they won enough seats in 22 to take the majority. He campaigned. He raised money. Again, you don't have to love every decision or tactic he's employed. But he has been the leader of the party for the past two cycles and led it to a majority. 202 people want that. 20 don't. And we're going to say to the guy who spent four straight years trying to build this thing, yeah, you're not good enough. I mean, it just... To me, they would even when they there was the revolt against Pelosi, they ultimately folded. Yeah, they ultimately folded because they knew that it was folly to try to take down the person that had essentially led them back to the promised land. So, I just I, I think this is a fundamental difference between liberals and conservatives right now. Liberals are willing to build up their leaders, and conservatives only seem to care about tearing ours down. And and I just I. And and, and, and we've talked about this before, and I don't want me to go off on a tangent here, but there is this like attitude of, hey, we need to make this club as small as possible. Why are so many people dedicated to making the Republican Party or the conservative cause as small as possible? Why are they so dedicated to excommunicating people? The purpose of politics is to build bigger parties to give yourself a better chance to win. So it makes me wonder, do these people actually want to win elections? Or do they just want to rule over 
a small club. And I think that's utterly ridiculous. That's Scott Jennings, Kevin Grout, Sean Southard. Hey, Jared Crawford. Have we heard from you tonight? I don't think so. Say hi. <laughs> He's not doing anything. He's can literally we, just sitting there. Can we ask him to explain his hat? Oh, yeah. What's you that say? have all seen this hat. Bogey boys. Bogey boys. What does that mean? Is that where you used to it's dance all. in college? What? Oh. <laughs> You guys have got any seam red herd anything before we head out? Oh, I think I think it's good. Oh, you don't want to do? We always do it. I got one. Oh, good. Uh, We watched over Christmas the the Netflix show uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out. Oh, I watched it. It It was real good. And this isn't a spoiler, but they don't like tech billionaires. And the, the the libs that would produce these things, they don't like the tech billionaires. Wonder who they were thinking about. It was it was a phenomenal film. I thought it was okay. I watched it. I, I thought. Did it. you see the first one? Yeah, the Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Which one did you prefer? Probably the first one. Knives Out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Phenomenal film. But speaking of Netflix, that also was my scene and read and heard. Uh, I watched the third season of Jack Ryan with. Uh, have you completed John Krasinski? I have. Okay. Well, so, don't don't spoil it. That's on. I've only Amazon. watched four episodes. That's on Amazon Prime. Okay. Not. Oh, was that, that's yeah. where it is. Okay. Well, it's one of those. It wasn't things. on Russia Today. So it was not on Russia Today. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. It's it's a new year. There's no need to bring up. Ha- Jared, you want to do some work here and tell us what have you seen, read or heard, anything? And could you say it into can, a microphone? Can you speak this time? into that little device? His down mic. There? You, <laughs> you, you Why is it even, all the way down there? Your microphone hasn't even been like transformed into a functional device. Oh, my mic's not on tonight. Um, <laughs> I have seen and read. I watched Wednesday. Oh, the yeah. show, which has been very good. Uh, that's Tim Burton, who yeah. I think everything he touches turns to gold. Um, I won't watch that. I haven't really been watching. I don't know. It was the holidays. I wasn't, you know, like yeah. usually on a Friday night or something, I sit down and kind of scroll through Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus, all those. And I haven't really been doing that lately. Um, I read a great investigative piece on WDRB today about the <laughs> soccer stadium, uh, which is not making the money that they claimed it would make, uh, which is not the most exciting thing, but I'd encourage folks to read that story. So that's my two scene or read or hurts. Man, that was weak. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I am at the end of a book by an author named Tom Clavin called Wild Bill, the true story of the American frontier's first gunfighter about Wild Bill Hickok, who had an amazing life. Clavin is a great writer about the American West. He wrote the book on Tombstone, and he's written some other books, and I love the Old West. And so anyway, I'm learning a lot about Wild Bill Hickok, an amazing American legend. You know what's interesting about him? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us. Even while he was alive, like the legend of him, like... He lived concurrent to the legend being built. Like, it, this didn't happen after he died. Like, so everywhere he went for a time, you know, uh, later on in life, like the legend of Wild Bill Hickok, he had to live alongside that. And so it you know, sometimes led to people, you know, I think you're constantly looking over your shoulder, like, I don't want to be the guy who kills Wild Bill. And finally, somebody did kill Wild Bill Hickok. He was from Louisville. Is that right? Yeah. For the the person who killed him? Don't ruin the book for us. That's right. Well, it's. Or our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I mean,. I think people know he got shot already. He's not still alive. Is it an audio book or is there a book book? Both. I'm doing the audio book, which has an interesting narrator, uh, but you can also purchase it in paper copy if you want. All right, folks. Yes, Sean. 
I'm reading. Uh, I'm currently reading the memoirs of John Ed Pierce, who is the longtime uh, political reporter for uh, the Courier Journal. Uh, but I also watched a movie over the holiday break, which I would highly recommend on Apple TV, which is doesn't get a big shout out from this podcast. Uh, but it is a Spirited. It's the uh, Will Ferrell, I watched Ryan that. Reynolds yeah. uh, Christmas musical. <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> he, he said it was about a horse. <laughs> That's a different spirit. This is Will Ferrell, Ryan yeah. Reynolds. You're right. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Yeah. Spirit. You don't know spirit? The, the, anyway, like, back to you. Yeah, I, I, the animated movie, like back yeah. in the day. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Anyways, it was a great show. It was kind of, uh, you know, uh, like uh, the Scrooge, uh, the Christmas Carol movie, but adopted for our modern times. I would highly recommend it. It's a it. musical. It's yeah. a musical. It's fun. You liked it? I do. I, do, do? I like it a lot. Do you huh? watch every movie that comes on like a Netflix <laughs> I, or whatever? When Wait, I, I thought he didn't watch any movies. Over the holidays, I pretty much, I go to the basement, I I, I fire up the big screen TV, and I, I just- I, It's a time but not you to like be Spirited? with the family. Did, I love Spirited. Wasn't it fun? It was like, fun. It was hilarious. I think Will Ferrell is now part of two great Christmas classics. I think Elf has really grown- uh, and and it become a yeah. classic as well, and it's just, I, I think and there was there was a that. joke about Elf in Spirited. In fact, there was interesting in which Will Ferrell kind of now cra- you're ruining craps it. on it. Now you're ruining it for me. I haven't seen. it. I didn't ruin the plot. <laughs> well, you ruined that joke. We tried making this podcast so long <laughs> that Kevin McCarthy would finally get a vote. <laughs> it didn't succeed. So no. on that note, Kevin, Sean, Jared, Scott, thank you, Joe. Thank you. Good to see you, sir. As always. Happy New Year. Oh, Kevin, before we go, how's your baby? Hopefully asleep. We'll, ch- we'll find out. <laughs> Joe's been plotting this ending the whole entire time. <laughs> Take us out. <laughs> Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs> well, you, all, you also took like a 15-minute break. I did. That's what I was saying. And you-